From American Salon Magazine and .com, I'm Gordon Miller, and this is American Salon Stories, our weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. So today is a banner day at the American Salon Stories podcast studio. I have been wanting to have this guest and this conversation since we started the podcast some 19 weeks ago. Charlie Price is one of the professional beauty industry's most recognizable faces. His iconic performances as a, as a platform artist and educator can be experienced on stages across the industry. Charlie's photo work has been published around the world, and he's collaborated with a long list of leading brands. He's a two-time North American hairstylist of the year, the first ever Naha People's Choice Award winner and has a career total of 25 Naha nominations. He is a regular behind the scenes at Fashion Week, working with a long list of important and up-and-coming designers. Charlie has made a memorable appearance as the villain on season two of Bravo TV's Sheer Genius. Welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast, my good friend, Charlie Price. Thank you. Hello, beauty people. I am still a villain, even though it's almost 10 years ago that I was on that show. That was a long intro because you've done so much. I can't, it's amazing what you've, what you've done. Thank you. You make me sound so importante. <laughs> you are muy importante. <laughs> so uh, uh, let's get started with the basics. Um, for anyone who may not know Charlie Price, and I can't imagine who that person might be, but he might be, or she might be listening. Um, how about giving our audience the short version of who is Charlie Price professionally? And, and what's a typical day in your life? these days? Well, I have been a salon owner, booth renter and commission. Um, I've been an educator for over 20 years. And uh, a day in the life for me is just trying to stay, um, not spend too much money because I'm trying to become an adult as, as I near 50. But um, no, actually, you know, a day in the life uh, of me looks like trying to be efficient with all my errands and, and be articulate on my social media. That would make you happy, right? That would make me very happy. I've watched the evolution of Charlie Price on social. We've had many conversations about it. You're very much a grown-up these days. I am, I'm kind of a lady now, but I have my moments still, like when I made out with my friend Katie on, on stage at Naha the other night. That was a vintage Charlie moment. Sometimes the two cross over. I, uh, you know, I, I will admit to having left Naha... Right after Sam Via's award. I'm not, did the makeout happen after Sam? Yes, it was towards then. We gave out avant garde. And it says, you know, in, the, in, our, in our script, it said something about pushing boundaries. And I said, we don't understand boundaries. And then we made out for a second, which is even weirder because I'm the most gay person in the entire world. And I was making out with a woman. So that, we loved the confusion. Confusing and, and actually, and shocking to me as a fellow gay man. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really shocked. I'll kiss anybody. I don't care. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so, well, let's, let's go back to the beginning. Um, I've heard this a little bit, I think, uh, from you previously, but I, I, I would like to have you share it with the audience. How did you get into the hair industry? What happened was I wanted to be a famous artist in high school. And I wanted to be like Basquiat or Schnabel or somebody. And I knew that I would have to pay my way through school with some kind of part-time job. And so I thought, you know, even if it's a part-time job, I have to love it or else it'll be miserable. So I went to a vocational program in high school and the rest is history. I've never looked back because the minute I picked up a brush and scissors and a comb and started doing hair, it just felt completely natural and kind of blissful. It made me happy. And by happy, I mean as happy as a person like me can be. And 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 so at that young age, you know, um, family supportive. Yeah, my family 
you know, was just happy that I, I had a skill. So uh, that I graduated from beauty school with some kind of a license to be able to make money made them happy. The rest of it was irrelevant to them because um, they, they, I don't know, they, I think they thought I was much crazier than I really am because I'm a, I'm a very hard worker and I never borrowed money from them ever. You mentioned art. And so, um, and it feels like you, you definitely veered into the art side of the hair business. Well, I, I've never stopped loving art or considering myself an artist. Uh, and I love, you know, video art. I love performance art. I love, um, the way pop stars now sort of, you know, are mutants of, of art, like Lady Gaga and Kanye West aren't really people, they're characters, sort of latter day Ziggy Stardust or something. So I love this postmodern pop culture, Andy Warhol feeling, and it lends itself right to, to hair because we're kind of supposed to be rock stars or else kind of what's the point. So, how, okay. So talk, you went to beauty school in high school. So walk through kind of the bullet point trajectory of Charlie from beauty school to Charlie we know today. I worked, I worked for a, a very flamboyant, crazy hairstylist that, that I loved working for. And um, he fired everybody that was in his salon. And I ended up leaving with the person I was assisting at the time and bounced around a couple of salons for two years as an assistant. And then there was a, a booth rent phenomenon in 1990. And I went out on the floor and became a booth renter. And then within a year after that, I opened my own salon at like 22. Uh, and then right after that, I got into working for Aveda, met Horst, um, met Ray Chavello, met David Recuglia, met um, a few other people at Aveda and Van Council. And I was trained by uh, them to become an educator. And, and that was it. I loved it. I was hooked on being a platform artist and I wanted to get my work published. And and also at the very beginning of my career, the guy I assisted right out of beauty school had a portfolio. So that was always something that struck me as a good thing to do because it, it, it made it feel like art again. It was just the expression piece of hair, not the commerce piece. So going back to 22, you were a salon owner. That's that's young. And I'm sure some of our audience will be like, ooh, I want to be that. So talk about the salon owner experience journey for you. Good thing, bad thing, uh, you know, whatever. What, what was that experience? And are, and are you still doing it? I did it from 1992 until 2010. And there were times that I loved it. But a lot of a lot of the time I didn't love it because I didn't like being blamed for everyone's problems <laughs> there. I didn't want to be responsible for everyone's ugh, drug problems and, you know, just all of the the um, administrative and, and just like shift manager parts of owning a son. Plus, I think that unless you're somebody that has a really, really strong person to run the business as you do hair. It's it's just so hard to do both. It's really hard. It's just so hard to run a salon. And no, I don't do it anymore. And I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been floating around since 2010. And um, I'm a booth renter now. And, you know, the reason booth renting works for me is because I have a clientele that I've spent 30 years building. And I can just kind of breeze in and breeze out um, two or three days a week because while well, I do all these other projects that I do. Because at this point, after 30 years, my body hurts. I can't. And, and, and the idea of stressing myself out with a whole bunch of people um, that I'm responsible for doesn't sound fun at all. So, you know, I think, I think the people that run successful money-making salons are diamonds. They're rare and special uh, and 
they're not, they're also not the villains. Everyone makes them out. I was, I was, you know, I was hated by so many people. My favorite story was that the people that worked for me said that I would go to New York and be, and, and I was really rich because my grandmother had a lot of money and I would just use the money that I made from the salon to buy limousines and designer clothes in New York. I thought was, my grandmother was not rich. She was depression era from Kansas. And, you know, had savings, but certainly not any kind of wealth. And I never made any money off the salons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, any money that we made, we invested into Fashion Week or photo shoots or we never had debt, but we also didn't make a lot of money. Continue your bullet point story of Veda. You met all, you were there at qu- in quite the time. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely loved working out of Veda when Horst was there. Um, I worked, yeah, as I said, Ray Chavello was, was my main mentor and give, gave me a ton of opportunities. The show director, Kelly McGushin was amazing to me, his, his wife, Catherine um, Hammernick. I saw her on stage at ABS. Um, and that's one of the reasons I was like, I got to work for a bit. I want to, I love these people. They're just great. And Cindy Wadsworth, who ran the Horst Academy, um, obviously Horst himself. Uh, there, there's just so many people. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. Vil, uh, Vilma Subel, who still, on, she's one of those rare salon owners that does such a great job. Lupe Voss was there. Gerard Scarpacy was there. Um, I don't know. Lots and lots of, I mean, Alan Ruiz, my friend. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just, I, I, I absolutely loved working out of Veda. And as much as I loved it, as soon as Horse left is how much I started to hate it. Not because of Estee Lauder, just because it sort of felt like the soul was gone of it. Um, it's still an amazing company, you know, and I know a lot of people absolutely still love working there, but um, I had to get out of there. And that was around 2007. Um and also partially just because I was tired of doing the same thing. So I went on that reality show, Show Genius, and rebranded myself. Like I just pretended I was Madonna doing a new album. And it worked for the most part. I would say 99% it worked. I, I, I think it worked in, in a very big way. So following Sheer Genius, then what? Oh, God, I was... I. I just was kind of a slut working for tons of companies. Um, I worked with Rusk for a minute. Um, I worked for, um, I had little, you know, I've done collections with number four. I've, um, I had an amazing, amazing, amazing three year period where I traveled internationally with Revlon professional. And I might say that that was the best company I ever worked for. Even, I mean, maybe it wouldn't have, maybe it's not better than Aveda, but because Aveda taught me so much, but Boy, Revlon flew us first class everywhere, uh, amazing hotels, just tr- it paid me a ton of money, which I don't have, of course, I spent it, um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and it was just, I met fantastic people from around the world. I, Expression was there, David Ricuglia, Robert Lobetta. It was for their Style Masters range. And um, we just traveled around promoting that product for three years. I went all over Europe, South America, and 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 it's places I haven't been since for for work. So, so you've you've run into all kinds of amazing people. Um, I, I know you're you're big on mentors and role models and heroes. Like, what's the best advice anybody's ever given you professionally, and 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 why might that be of interest to people? Uh, Horst didn't say it specifically to me, but he would tell all of us when we were. Um, he was training us as educators and he would say to us, just as long as you do what you love, the money will follow. And I kind of already knew that, but to hear someone of that importance, um, somebody that really shows you what a hairdresser can do in life and in the world, say something that I already believed, uh, was very liberating for me. And I've, I I think of it and him often. Who, who do you look up to today? Well, I still, David Recuglia is still a mentor to me and I, I work with him whenever I can. Uh, we just did a shoot the other week. Uh, you know, Robert Lobetta, 
I didn't work very often with Robert Lobetta or for very long, but it, it was a very meaningful experience because he just taught me the power of imagination. And he doesn't compromise his artistic vision. So I loved that. I look up to Sam Villa a lot because he's proof that nice guys don't finish last. And, and I think that that is so important because it sounds silly, but it's so rare. You know, he, he's just a lovely, sweet guy and he's doing amazing. I re- I, I've never met anybody that doesn't like or respect Sam Villa. Um, let's see, who else do I admire? Well, you've helped me a lot. Aww. <laughs> Thank you. You're, you're, you always are helping me with my social media, helping me not be such an insane person. Um, also, people like Vivian McKinder. Um, and then I have, I don't know if I would call them mentors or I kind of, I guess I would. Marianne Daugherty and Bonnie Bonadeo. Um, they were just always so supportive of me. Bonnie was sort of like Ray Chevello in that she gave me my first jobs as a platform artist outside of a beta. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I still work with her right now on the IBS shows. And I love working with her. She's awesome. And um, she's another one that'll tell me when I'm going too far and a little too nutty, dial it down. So yeah, she's awesome. Um, and Marianne has just, I, you know, we've been close ever since I met her. She's an amazing lady. Same with me, actually. She, um, well, she's the former editor in chief of American Salon. She recently retired, as you know, and um, a dear friend to us both. Um, Robert Labetta back with Sebastian. Yeah, I, I think that, I, I guess it's okay. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I hope they're paying him a ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm knowing, sure they knowing, are. knowing Robert, you know, I'm and sure Sebastian, I, I'm, I'm sure they are. I'm excited. He's going to be a podcast oh, guest soon. Whatever he does, whatever he does is amazing. It'll be great. Let me ask you. Let's talk. You mentioned social media a little bit, and and I, I wrote myself a note. You know, one of the buzzwords, almost a cliche at times around social, is authenticity, and. Um, I think you were authentic before it was the thing to be. And um, so talk a little bit about that in the current context, not necessarily social, but how important is it to be authentic? What's your what's your take on that? Well, right now, uh, I think it's more important than ever because there is so much pressure to be something other than oneself and for everyone to be the same, that we all have to utilize social media in the same way. We have to have the same amount of followers. We have to get the same engagement and all of that. And one of the things that I have learned um, over the past like three years, four years with social media is that you just treat it like any other marketing and, and, and you have to sit down by yourself and, and look at who you are, what message you want to send out and what you're hoping to get back in return. And so for me, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't do extensions. I don't do Pinterest updos and I don't do cr- a lot of crazy hair colors. So I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do? But then, but then what's happened is that I, um, you know, do fashion week and I do classes and putting that out there on, on Facebook and Instagram and Hairbrand and other places has worked amazing, amazingly well, surprisingly, shockingly well. And so it's working really well for me. And I just had to kind of shut out the pressure of trying to be like Jenny Streeby. You know, I adore her. I can't be like her. We're totally different, even though we're friends because of you. I met her through you. She's, you know, you know, it's just, it's, it's like, also I'm too old. I can't be old. Cause I'm like twice, I, I'm twice as old as her. So I can't, I can't do that. I think also, you know, a lot of people that are my age, like 48 and above, if we start trying to use game changer all the time and do a million selfies and Snapchat it out constantly, we look kind of like that, a 65 year old woman that walks in with a mini skirt and a side pony into the bar and everybody laughs at her. So not that I have opinions, but you know, I just don't want to be that person either. Not too old, but not trying to be young. I hear you. I hear you. You've, I think, you know, really been 
true to the word. I mean, you 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 were out there being gay before most of us were. Um, you were, I think, you were a role model to a lot of gay people coming up in the industry, actually. And um, and more recently, you've you've come out with your HIV status. Talk about kind of all that and relative to this idea of being yourself today. Well, another person that I admire a lot that's helped me is Eden Sassoon. And we talked a lot about drinking and also she shares everything. You know, she's, some people think it's oversharing, but you know, I talked to her about it. I talked to Ted Gibson about it. And I thought, I said, you know, I just feel like hairdressers right now aren't really talking about a lot of stuff. I said, you know, Eden, you are. And I asked Ted, I said, I just, I think that I want to tell people just because I want them to not think that I just, I'm trying to put out this image that my life is perfect. Um, and also there's nothing to be sh- ashamed about. And secrecy is poisonous to to people with HIV. Um, hiding something or hiding the fact that you're gay is poisonous. So I don't think you have to advertise it every day. I don't put something about HIV constantly. And I don't have HIV warrior on everything I do branded with t-shirts like, you know, some people with their illnesses in our industry who I won't name. Um, but um, so I just think, you know what? I wanted hairdressers out there to realize, oh, I'm not, I'm not radioactive because I'm HIV positive. And I've had a lot of people, you know, uh, message me and thank me for it. And it also ma- just makes me feel better. So I had to do it. Can't be like, and then as far as being out and gay, I really never had a choice because as much as I want to be like Stephen Moody and David Rakugli and all these other suave gentlemen, the minute I open my mouth, it's a lot of, a lot of boy George happening there or the Bracci or whatever, whatever gay voice you, David Sedaris, whoever. So there's no there's no control in that. Well, on behalf of the rest of the gays, thank you because you you are you are a role model, and um, you've done a lot of uh, great things. I think for the gay community, um, and in particular, gay hairdressers. I, I, and I really mean that as a gay man myself. Thank you, Gordon. Um, let's talk about fashion because you are in there in the deep end of the pool. Everybody talks about the connection between hair and fashion and how big it is. Um, uh, talk a little bit about that, because I, I, sometimes I feel it's overstated, um, but maybe it's contextual. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I do believe it's very connected, but then I, I don't know, I guess in the weeds, how much is it? Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Well, hairdressers are hairdressers and makeup artists are always considered at the epicenter of culture. And if we don't know what's going on around us, it makes us look kind of foolish. So that would be true of music, Hollywood, TV movies, whatever. And, um, and then high fashion. Now, as far as the connection to our industry, the way I like to put it now, isn't really even artistic, it's business, which is, you know, in this world of social media and trying to figure out how to market ourselves. um, We have to have more conversations and get people's attentions quicker we have to try to hold them more so than we ever did before because they're staring at their phone the entire time they're in our chair. So let's look at it this way. Prada, Chanel, Valentino, they all have shoes. They all have perfume. They all have dresses and they all have coats to sell every season. Just like we have extensions and color and brushes and blow dryers and curling irons. And we need a different way to talk about that with them every time they come in, which is probably you know, hopefully four times a year. So we can just kind of insert trends and talk about how the hair hair is different slightly. And that's all it is because Chanel from season to season isn't going to be a radical departure. So if you say to your 65-year-old lawyer or doctor's wife, well, I'm not trying to give you this crazy runway look, but let's look at what is going on in fashion right now. Say wet hair 
is a trend. Obviously, we can't send our clients all out with wet hair, but we can put a little more shine in it, a little more pomade, or reintroduce them to a like a maybe some a little more crunch to the products because things have been so uh, soft right now. It's just a way to talk about stuff that we need to talk about that nobody really wants to talk about and our clients don't necessarily want to hear about. It's a fun way to engage them in what we sell. So for those who are maybe trying to get a little more connected to fashion or have the ability to have those conversations, what would your advice be? Well, if you if you just want to to know the information and be able to, to just kind of reinvigorate your salon life, I say read read magazines, read a couple of magazines every month. And you don't have to go through cover to cover, but say Vogue, W and L all have their own point of view on how they talk about the same things. So after all the ads, there's a second cover, which is um, called View in Vogue. And it's where the mag, it's no longer ads anymore. It's what the magazine has put together. And it's their point of view on what they think the trends are. And they report on the trends from all the international runways. So they put bullet points together. You could just take those out every month and put them on your bulletin board in the salon and say, this is what we're going to talk about you guys this month. This is what Vogue magazine, magazine thinks is important for beauty and for hair and for fashion right now. It's really not brain surgery. It's very easy. They do all the work for us because, you know, a lot of people are either irritated or scared or intimidated in some way by fashion. So the, the magazines know they have to make it easier for everyone reading it, too, if they're going to sell them. So that's what I would say. Read your magazines first and foremost. That They're going to give you all the answers. And if this is one thing I've said, I didn't go to college, but I learned a lot just from reading Vogue magazine. It sounds like such a cliche, but they'll tell you everything you need to know about just about everything. And we're talking to women all day for the most part, unless you're a, a men's barber. But um, boy, it's d- magazines that are directed towards women, um, successful women, I think are pretty interesting. They cover a lot of territory. And speaking to, you know, consumer friends and being a consumer myself, because I don't do hair when I'm in the salon, I, you know, I love an intelligent conversation, you know, with somebody who's working with me. I, I, I love it when my hairdresser knows what the heck's going on in fashion and can help connect the dots or give me a little inside info or, or um, I don't know. It's just, there's something special about that. Well, I think also if you throw in a men's magazine, like if you read GQ or details or something, you're going to get a little politics, you're going to get a little science, a little health, um, little world affairs, all of it. And then you can kind of have little tidbits to talk to people about without sounding like an idiot instead of talking about, you know, how drunk you got last weekend or you're fighting with your mother-in-law or, you know, all the tacky stuff that we really don't want to talk about with our clients. I mean, they can talk about it. We shouldn't talk about it. No, that's, that's perfect advice for everybody. So staying on the topic of fashion, um, you spend a lot of time at fashion week I do. and it's you, I know you have a huge passion. Um, you've got something called beauty underground that I'd like you to speak to, but also um, start by talking about it. It, it seems that it's the dream of so many hairdressers to go to Fashion Week and be behind the scenes. There's only so much opportunity to do that. It's, it's um, So, I don't know, put that in context, maybe from a career perspective, and then just talk about that experience. Well, what happened for me was Ted Gibson and I were sent to Milan when we worked for Aveda to, uh, um, obviously, Ted Gibson is one of my main mentors. He was one of my teachers at Aveda, too. I didn't mention him earlier, but I knew he'd come up sooner or later, as he always does. But we went to um, Milan together, worked on Prada, Dolce & Gabbana, and Mio Mio, and and I, I absolutely just fell in love with doing it. It was my, it was my dream to see the famous models and, and see all the famous fashion journalists that I followed. And I didn't really see a ton of movie stars, but just really, you know, chic people. Um, and so what I did was I 
went back to New York and said, I've just done this, assisted Eugene on these shows. And I went to all the hair and makeup agencies and I ended up getting a job with Serge Normand for a couple of years. And then I ended up working with Guido before he was at Redken for a number of years and then tons of other people. And what I found with that is that if you pay attention to it, um, you know things before anyone else knows them. In some cases, you know them before the press knows them. I was actually able to do hair for some uh, models that in the Proenza Schooler showroom for a private meeting with Anna Wintour, a, pre a preview of their collection one season. And that's just something that money can't buy. I mean, to be right. in there, um, we had to all hide and, and not talk because she's supposed to be such a nightmare and so scary. She wasn't. She was laughing and having fun and very nice. And actually, when I was backstage at Prada, I went up and talked to her, which I wasn't supposed to do. But I, I actually touched her. I'm surprised I didn't get tackled by her security force. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but she did something on racism. And I said, I just wanted to thank you. I thought it was such, such a beautiful article. And she said, thank you. And it was a kind enough thank you. But it was also not an invitation to say one more word. So I left. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as so what do i what did i have to do with that now just to continue like why am i still doing this i don't work for a bit anymore i don't have a salon and that's how i used to pay to sponsor these shows which is the thing we don't get paid we pay because it is a um it's a commodity now designers know that the hair and the makeup and the nails and anything associated with the marketing of their brand or the services that their models wear can be charged for so we pay five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars per show, and that's why we do co-sponsorships. So the the beauty underground is people coming together for various reasons to do creative projects, um, like Naha or uh, you know trade shows, whatever. But Fashion Week is one of the biggest ones, and it's it's again it's just getting people backstage to see how they can view what's going on in the trickle down of high fashion to the to the chair. And the difference between our program and others is what happens is. We go to the designer and we will meet with the makeup artist, which is, could be people like Janelle Geeson from Aveda or people like Kabuki or Gucci Westman or Bobby Brown, any of these amazing people. And we go into the office with the designer, figure out what the looks are. And then we come back and have a meeting before the show with everybody that flies in to work with us. They bring a mannequin. They do the work. So that way, when they we go to the show, they're doing it. They're not assisting. In fact, we try not to do hair ourselves. We try, They do the hair. Um, and that way... You know, it's not like me. I used to be, I used to get on the plane and kind of like sort of cry to myself, like, why am I doing this? I'm so abused. I mean, after three years, I didn't even know if Guido knew who I was. I saw him at Redken recently and he kind of did. So that was good. He remembered me. But, you know, we are educators. So we're like, we can change this whole experience for people. So not only do we get help paying for the shows that we want to do to feed our soul, but we're helping hairstylists kind of navigate this process in an easier way than it was for, for us. So, so to have clarity around that, so Beauty Underground is a collective of, of artists who you take to Fashion Week. Um, you get, you're saying there's sponsorships that happen in, and Beauty Underground, in a sense, by way of those sponsorships, is paying to participate in the shows. Yeah, so what it is, is we all pay $1,000 or $1,500. $1,000 for one show, $1,500 is to do all the shows. That doesn't include your trip. But with that money, we put it together, give that money to the designers, and then we're all co-sponsors. And then is there a team under the team? As you said, you, you're not doing the hair per se. Do you have... Right. I have people... The artistic team would be people like Ruth Roach from Purology, Joe Lights from Redkin, George Aldrady from Kuhn, Kitty Nielsen from 
uh, scruples. And then Sharina Hansen and myself, who have just been doing this with Aveda, she, she and I did this together for 10 years before we started BD Underground. And so she and I were the ones that really came up with this idea for Fashion Week. And then we enrolled these other people. So we're the core team. And then we, and then the, we meet the people the day before the show that fly in that pay to be part of our team. And we have already met with the designers. Then we teach them the look, answer all their questions, tell them how the process works. And then they hit the ground running the next day. And they're much happier than, you know, they understand it. Because normally what happens when you're assisting somebody is you just show up and watch that person do a look and then you just have to figure everything out. They don't necessarily tell you anything. And sometimes there's huge language barriers. It's not like a hair show where you get there three hours early and you unload your entire kit and you're raring to go. If you do that at Fashion Week, you're going to irritate the person in, <laughs> in charge because you're probably getting out all the wrong stuff and you're in the place that they want to be standing. And they're not going to explain anything to you. And so what, what's the big benefit to doing this? I think, I think it's just like reading a fashion magazine. When you're backstage doing a look and it gets seen for the first time on the runways and then you see yourself in Getty images and you, and you know, um, you see celebrities running around and see all these people. It's just such a gratifying, energetic, it's just the joy of being a hairdresser. You know, it's, I I just can't tell you how fun it is. Um, And also we protect everybody to make sure that it's fun. So they leave happy instead of, you know, feeling beat up. Like I felt a lot of times and I'm not, I wasn't a victim. I loved every minute of it, but I thought I can do this better because I'm a hair educator. I can explain all this to people because it's, it is a mystery. People don't even understand what fashion week even is. They think it's a party and people are drinking martinis and doing cocaine with Naomi Campbell or something. And it's a trade show. It isn't. It's just people coming in to buy clothes for their stores. Um, and the only reason celebrities are there are to make sure people want to buy it. It is a trade show. And, and you can't buy tickets. People always think you can just buy tickets to sit in the audience. You can't. And so, so big picture for those, again, who may want to do it generally, because I know a lot of the manufacturers are there and you had yep. that experience. So, so how does that work? Work with manufacturers. We've partnered with Redken multiple times, Arojo, Sexy Hair, Davinas. Um, because we're an independent collective doesn't mean that we're anti-manufacturer. We love manufacturers and we want them to love us. We're just in an open relationship. However, there are people like Ruth Roach, who is not in an an open relationship. So if we're partnering with Sexy, she wouldn't be there. You know, if we're partnering with a Rojo, Jill's not going to be there and so on. But um, that's one of the reasons why some of us want to be independent is that so we can get help from whoever wants to help us at any given time. Um, So manufacturers do this. I think it's a little bit different because, as I said, you don't assist us. We're all doing it together. We teach you the look beforehand. You do the look on the day of, and we facilitate. So those people, the, the core team of mine, I'll, I'll have them, um, they'll be team leaders for five or six of the hairdressers so that there's somebody telling them all the time, you know, what to do if that's right and, and supporting them. So nobody feels like they're in the weeds. How much of your career, because, you, you know, you've, A, you've had this long career, but but today, you know, I know you do a lot of things. And, and so... How much of your your longevity uh, would you attribute to having these other projects? I think the the, the beauty underground and, and my platform artist work uh, is seventy five percent of my career now, and twenty to twenty five. I don't know. Maybe it's even more than that. Maybe it's eighty percent beauty underground and my platform artist work, and then twenty percent some only and and literally only because I've been doing hair for so long behind the chair that I, I just don't know how long, how sustainable it is forever. 
I mean, I want to have my foot in it a little bit because I think it's hard to be an educator of something you don't do anymore. And also, especially in this time where everybody wants to be famous and not pay their dues behind the chair, I think it's really important to have a measure of success with a clientele if you can maintain that. So let's talk about patience because that that's kind of, I think, somewhat what you were referring to, people wanting to get fast to success or fast to some end goal. Um, and I don't know if the world's changed much over the course of your career as it relates to what it takes to be successful, but how important is it to be patient in a career? If you can be patient, it's going to help you live longer. <laughs> because there's no way around it. Things happen when they happen and you can only facilitate and push so hard. I do think, you know, we have to make things happen. We can't wait for other people to make them happen for us, but also we can't push them faster than that, than then nature and the circumstances will allow them to go. Like, for instance, Naha took me. I started entering when Van Council won in the 90s. Like, I think he won in 1991 or 92. And I didn't didn't get nominated until 2002. And I've never won master. And I've been up for it six times. I've been up for editorial six times. And, you know, like last time, last the other night, we were up for our 25th. I was up for my 25th. Um, Naha didn't win it. So, you know, I mean... It's just, it takes a while. You don't become famous overnight, generally. Um, and the, those that do often don't survive. So you be careful if you wish for that. Um, I think that also, do you really want to be famous for something that you really don't know very well yet? Like if you're just brand new out of beauty school and you get super famous, but you don't know anything, that's kind of scary. I think everybody just needs to take a step back. Surround yourself with people that really are doing what you want to do educate yourself, get yourself out there and, and, and kind of just have goals. Um, I find that this is such a basic thing that people don't do having your, your goals, like three month goals, six months goals, uh, a year goal, five year goals, 10 year goals. And then what, if your wildest dream came true, what is it? And also then even before that, what kind of hairdresser do you want to be? What are your specialties? What are your, what are you good at? You know, do you want to be an educator? Do you want to be a salon owner? Do you want to own a beauty school? Do you want to work on in theater? Do you want to work on runway shows? Do you want, you know, there's so many things we can do. Do you want to work for a manufacturer? You know, there, there's so many things and, and you can't do them all. I think that's like so important and such good advice. Um, and I think also it's important to realize that it's okay if your goals change. Absolutely. They will. Talk about competition because you've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, I, I grew up kind of my formative years, if you will, in beauty were at Pivot Point. And Leo Passage was was really passionate about competition. You know, he believed it was not necessarily about, you know, being a winner per se, but having even a short experience that built character, built skill, built a lot of things. What's your, the benefit with, that goes along with all the hard work? What do you see as the benefit to competing? Well, I commit, commit, I compete primarily in photo shoot contests like the AIPP Awards and NAHA. And Canadian Mirror Awards, whatever. Uh, and I think that the, the best thing about doing that as a hairstylist is photographing your work and seeing your work in, away from the three-dimensional standing in front of it. Just to look at your work on a screen, um, in a print, in a magazine, um, whatever is going to make it, – it'll improve your eye. You'll just be better at what you do if you take a step back in that with that perspective. So there's that. And then as far as competition – not getting everything you want is good for a person. <laughs> Builds character to not win every time. Um, and also just to know, I, I think even now I, I've started my own competition, the Southwest Hairstyling Awards, and was involved with the Northwest Hairstyling Awards with Lisa Van in Seattle. And what we find is we pick the judges. 
I'm not a judge. I pick some nominees, but I'm not the judge. And I don't agree with who they pick. And it's not a conspiracy. Um, and, and, and you have to realize people's opinions are just out there, whether you like them or not. It's this, and I, you know, I don't agree with a lot of the people that win. I mean, in any of these competitions, whether it's even the ones in Europe, but that's what, you know, that's the thing about it. It's opinions. So you, you mentioned the, the idea of the photographic work and, and seeing that work in a different way and the value of that. So let's jump over quickly to social media because that's, that's a lot of what it is, right? Instagram, I mean, really it's, it's become so accessible for everybody to do that kind of work. It's not a competition per se, um, but taking those, taking those photos, putting them out there, uh, maybe it is a competition, right? The like button in, in a certain way. I was um, going to say it is. It is a competition. But I, I try not to make it a competition because, again, if I started doing pulled apart braids and bridal updos and stuff, it wouldn't be indicative of who I am as a hairstylist. So it wouldn't matter how many likes I got. It just doesn't work for my brand. So I'm not going to compete with my friend Heather Chapman. I'm just not going to. I can't. But she can't compete with me either. Because I'd rather be, I mean, not that I'm, not, this is not about Heather Chapman. Make sure that I want to make that clear. But I would rather be Vivian Westwood than Victoria's Secret Pink. So I, I'm after a smaller, more esoteric group of followers that um, like the same things I like and value the same things I do. I'm not just out for the cheapest popularity and likes. And there's nothing wrong with it if you are. It, there is nothing wrong with it. I mean, look what's going so well for a lot of these people. They have a lot of success. It's the new generation. So it's it, and 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 also, you can't blame manufacturers and magazines for going after what's easy, cheap, and successful because that's just human nature. It's always going to be that way. If you could get a thousand likes for something that you may not love, and you only get ten for something that you believe in, it's it's hard not to sell your soul there. It's hard not to. You can't blame them. Well, I, I love what we see happening now because the, the platforms are beginning to mature somewhat. And we've had Michael Cole on as a guest a number of times and Nina Kovner. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the the typical salon, the typical stylist who's engaging on social. And and we also had recently um, Ankotron and Johnny Ramirez on. And, you know, they put out a, a much more commercial style very successfully and do it at the influencer level. But we also know hundreds, if not thousands of salons who put out very commercial work. And they're not looking to become influencers. They're not looking for thousands of likes. They're looking, you know, for a reaction in the context of their business, you know, to, which to me isn't that different than, than the old school getting someone to say, oh, I love my hair and tell their friends. It's, a, it's the great equalizer. We always thought that the revolution was going to be, you know, the new Anthony Muscolo, the new horse, the new Vidal Sassoon, all of this stuff, the new brands. It, not, it isn't necessarily, it's not that there aren't new artists and new brands and stuff. It's that we all have a voice now. Anybody can have a voice. You just make your account and you have a, vo a voice. There's good and bad. It's like the force. There's the good side of the force and the bad side of the force. Um, and so for me, social media has been the best thing that's happened to me in a very long time. I don't even know what I would do right now if I didn't have social media because I don't work for anybody. It's very, and it's very hard to get coverage in trade magazines and, and other places if, if you don't work for a manufacturer. So for me, social media is, um, a gift from the gods. And when I say the gods, I mean, Kylie Minogue, Madonna, and JLo. That's the gods I'm talking about. The ones I pray to. And Neiman Marcus and Barney's. But no, I think social. So when I say all that stuff about social media, I mean, I, I have my bitchy opinions about everything. It's not just social media. So, you know, and these people hate what I do. And trust me, I know they've told me. So I just think that, you know, not one thing works for everybody in social media. 
I mean, think about all the different things we said that hairdressers can do. If you're a soap opera hairstylist, you don't want to be a Vivids expert necessarily. Soap opera stars don't look like that. So it's just a matter of what you're trying to do with your social media. And and I think if you're an you know avant-garde Naha winner, maybe don't do you know bridal on all your social media and vice versa. If you're a bridal hairstylist, maybe don't enter avant-garde Naha. It doesn't make sense for what you do. Enter hairstyling, classic hairstyling, you know, stuff like that. I think that's all That's all I'm saying with that. And it also depends, you know, again, ultimately what's your goal. If you're trying to build a clientele, you know, you want to you want to do work that's going to draw people in to do the kind of work you do for your clientele. If you're trying to be an influencer or if you're trying to be an educator, if you're trying to be a platform artist, depending on what platform you're standing on and what company you're working for, the work will be different. Precisely. Different strokes for different folks. Exactly. So a passionate listener of the American Salon Stories podcast happens to be, and I know she's listening, Heather Heather Chapman, our mutual friend, Heather Chapman. You, you mentioned Heather. We have to take a moment to say hi to Heather. Anything you'd like to say to Heather? What up, girl? Keep doing those <laughs> updos. So good. I and we have to collaborate soon. I love, I love Heather Chapman. Um, okay, so I wrote myself a little note. I don't know how this is going to go, but I thought, well, let's let's play a little word association with Charlie Price. And you know, actually, my, my words are kind of mundane, um, but I, <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't say that in advance, but I'm going to. But I, but I, I don't know. They they just came to me, so I wrote them down. I'm going with my first words, and you could give a one word answer. You could you could do multiple words, but I'm just going to do a round robin of words and see what Charlie Price has to say about them. So I'm going to start with the easy one, and that would just simply be beauty. A reason to live. And then number two, we're going to go with opinions. If you don't have one, then you're an amoeba. I, and Google amoeba. Do we, do we want to spell amoeba for those who may not know what it is? Um, we'll, we'll let everybody look. Um, rainbow. I wish it were not the gay flag. <laughs> I, I remember, I, you know, I, I was around before we, had, before we had a rainbow flag, so I'm just glad we have one. Yeah, I know. I like. I guess I like the idea of it. It's just tacky, so tacky. Just kind of like the rainbow hair. Fashion. Telling everyone who you are without saying a word. Oh, I like that. I like that. Taste. It's important to have any kind of taste. Bad taste is better than no taste at all. But if you have great taste, you will always be at an advantage. Kardashian. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to block them out. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, success. It's all relative. And then the last one, because I can't help myself when I think of Charlie Price, Madonna. Divine. And there you go. Our word association game with Charlie Price. I love that. Thank, thank you. Thank you for indulging me. How, and I've only got a couple more questions, but but I, but I, I want to ask you, um, you know, again, long career. You're, we've only known each other well for a few years, and um, but I adore you. I think you know that. And one of the reasons I do is you're you're like the the little engine that could. You know, you're just like you know always going at it, always like driven to get things done. And and I think you know um, you've got this great sense of humor, but you've also great got this great sense of humanity. And I'm just I'm just so taken by so many parts of who you are. How do you keep yourself motivated and moving ahead? Well, right now, um, this this may sound kind of sweet, but it's also mercenary. So I'm going to, I hope I 
get across uh, the, the scope of what I'm saying. I think that I don't work for a manufacturer. I don't have a product line. I don't have a salon and I don't have children. And as I get closer to 50, I think about legacy and I think about what's going to, what am I going to leave behind to the industry that I've you know, devoted my life to? And I think it's just, I want to live on in the brains of people and hearts, obviously, that I've worked with and taught things to. Um, and I want them to love me. <laughs> that's what I want. They're always like, what do you want from me? And I'm like, I want you to love me. I want you to talk about me when I'm gone and say that I taught you a curling iron trick or taught you something about fashion or taught you not to put up with any shit from anybody or something like that. You know, just uh, remember me with fondness. Isn't that what we all want though? I, I think so. Um, and I, what I know is that so many people will. So, um, cause you brought so much to so many, um, on so many different levels. So, um, all right. So tell us, what do you, I love to ask everybody this question. What are you reading, listening to viewing and or obsessing about these days? A anything that you think might be of interest, you know, one thing, more than one thing. Uh, well, I love, you know, um, the TV shows like the handmaid's tale. I, I think it's just so, um, timely uh for what's going on in our culture i think we're in a very dangerous time of misogyny and my mom always says to me why are you such a feminist and what's your deal with that why do you care so much about women's rights and i said well if it's anybody i don't care if it's the culture or a president or a political party or or a rock star or whoever if somebody advocates um, persecuting half of the race then we have a really big problem <laughs> it only goes downhill from there I mean, and also, I guess I just like, I love women or else I would have spent my entire life with them. But The Handmaid's Tale, I think is extraordinary show. Anything else? Anything outside of television or that you're paying attention to these days? Well, I love the news and uh, I'm just in a very uh, pensive place. I don't, I don't think any one person can ruin our country. Um, and you know, like when they would say Obama is ruining the country, I didn't, I didn't think, well, obviously I liked Obama, so I didn't think that. So on the flip side, I don't think Trump is ruining the country. However, I think that if there is something good is that it's dredging up all of the stuff that has needed to be talked about for a very long time. And I am, I'm trying not to be obsessed with that because it could take over your life, but it's always been part of my brand to say what I think. So I am very political. And I always will be, which is maybe why I don't work for a manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and, I, and I, I'm a news junkie myself, but I, I love what you just said, because, you know, if, if I didn't know you, I, I could almost not know what political persuasion you were given how you said it, if you left, left the Obama comment out. In other words, you, you, you know, squarely in the middle. And I think and, and it's, it's very hopeful what you said. Yeah. Um, well, I was raised in a, a military Republican family on both sides. So I know Republicans are not evil because my family is not evil. But at the same time, I will never be a Republican. I'm incredibly liberal. So hopefully I can have conversations with anybody. But I also won't entertain someone's perspective if their perspective involves taking someone's civil rights away or their right to exist. So that to me is not someone's right. And I think that we got to We got to take care of each other. All minorities have to take care of each other right now. And it, it, it transcends party. Um, so what's coming up next for Charlie Price? Well, New York Fashion Week is coming up and then we're headed to London for the alternative hair show, which is super exciting because I used to do the alternative with Tony Rizzo here in 
Chicago in, in the USA when it used to be here. And it's took, taken me this long to get to do it in London. So that's back to your patience comment. I've waited. I've been trying for 10 years to get that show. We finally got it. So we're very excited to do that show. Congratulations. That's I, I remember it when it was here. I haven't been to London to see the show. I, I'm hoping to be there this year. And so um, what you just said makes it extra special to see Charlie Price on the alternative hair show stage. That is huge. Yes, with Beauty Underground. So you'll see a lot of us American freaks. Usually it's just Robert Chromian. So we got we to gotta bring more freakiness. I love it. Um, so um, tell our audience, how can they find you online, in social, on the web? Uh, Charlie Price Hair on Instagram. And it's charliepricehair.com is my website. And just Charlie Price. And I'm the bald gay one, not the super hot straight one from Dallas. There's two of us <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, okay, so Charlie Price, icon, iconoclast, I wrote down. Iconoc- I don't think we talked about that too much, but um, icon, iconoclast, educator, artist, beauty underground founder. Thank you so much for being our guest on the American Salon Stories podcast. Charlie Price, I love you. I love you, and I love American Salon too. Thank you so much. All right, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. You too. Bye. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow us on Instagram, where we are known as at American underscore salon, also at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, Your Daily Beauty Fix. This is American Salon publisher, Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you more American Salon Stories next week. 